Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Yeah, and I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You guys ready? Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow your word to flow through me today, God. That we'll be anointed and hear from you today, God. We worship you. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives and for giving us understanding and spending time with us. May you get the glory for everything that comes out of this room today, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to take a little side trip today. God has been dealing with this message in me for a couple of weeks, but I finally feel like I got the release to teach it. But we're going to be talking about a new priesthood and a royal priesthood. We're going to be talking about how we are transitioning into this new priesthood. I don't know. If, I know you guys know this, but our church has been transitioning. And it's not just our church, but all the churches. We've been seeing all the churches in across our nation right now. I've, I've been in touch with other ministers from other nations, and I'm watching what's going on in their churches. And it's all the same movement. There's this awakening, and there's this newness, and there's new people coming to positions. There's new people buying buildings and churches and starting stuff. And it's all being this, this birth of this new priesthood. So, I, so God's been putting it on my heart to talk about a new priesthood, what it means, what it's supposed to be, and who we're called to be in this new priesthood. So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 to start. I'm going to start reading in chapter, verse number 4. Oh, it's nice, to, it's, it's nice to read and teach right out of my Bible. Electronics are good and all, but there's nothing like the pages of the book. Besides the point, I know if anything ever went wrong and I lost my whole message, I could just flip the Romans 6 and teach all day. So you're never out of material as long as you're holding the book in your hand. Brother Chris, what up? We were just getting started. You missed prayer, but that's about it. I hope you're praying on your own. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm glad you're here. Because I was telling them, I, we're going to be talking about a new priesthood today. And I, 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 we're going to talk about how God is, is bringing the church into a new era. And he's changing how the church works. So we're going to take a look at this in the Bible. So I'm starting in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read starting in verse 4. You are coming to Christ. So here we are, guys. We have all changed our lives and we have come to Christ. So that's what he starts with. We, have, we are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So the first thing we're, we're learning here is we're coming to Christ. When we're building this new priesthood in the church, Christ has to be our cornerstone. Everything we do, everything we teach is in his name, which is in his character and accordance to his will. So we want to make sure that we are making God the cornerstone of our temple. And you are living stones that God is building into a, his spiritual temple. So that's where we find ourselves. We are the stones of the temple of God. What's more, you are holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So he tells us here that we are a royal priesthood. If you read it in the King James, it says, Ye are living stones as built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable by God and Jesus Christ. So that is who we're called to be as part of the church. I'm not just an outsider. I'm not an indweller of the church. I am the actual st structure of the church. I make up the church. Jesus is my cornerstone. 
So everything I do, say, and teach better be based on him. But I am the church. Yes, you who trust him, recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stones that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. That's powerful, guys. As we continue in our priestly duties and our service, Christ is either going to be your cornerstone that you stand on and you teach on, and he's going to make you solid, or he is going to be the rock that literally trips you up and makes you fall. So if we're going to be in his kingdom and we think we're going to do things that are not pleasing, God himself is who's going to take you out. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the faith that he has planned for them. So, that, that, so there we go. Now we know how we stumble. We don't obey God's word. We're part of the church. We're part of the priesthood. We're part of the organization. But that doesn't give us the right to not obey God's word. It's still, especially as the priesthood, it's our job to study the scriptures to obey the scriptures, to help our brothers and sisters understand those scriptures, and to offer sacrifices on their behalf when they stumble. So when my brother's stumbling, it's not my job to throw stones at him. It's my job to go into the holiest of holies and lift him up before God, that God will be drawn to him and that there, you know, he can be reconciled. It's not my job to banish him, judge him, that, that's not what we're called. We're called to be the priests. The priests atone for the people's sins. We're supposed to be atoning for our brother's sins. So he, he continues here. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into light he calls you out of darkness into light we see things that other people don't see but my job is to show them god's goodness it's not my job to tell people god's judgment if i see somebody who has a drinking problem it's not my job to go to them and show them god's judgment you're going to go to hell if you do this but i can show him god's goodness I can say, hey, guess what? I haven't drank in two years, and I'm doing great. You don't have to drink. You can choose not to, and you can have a good life. Again, we're right back to our life more abundant, our theme of our whole study here. But that's what, it's, that's what Christ has called us to. We're, we're called to be a royal priesthood and to help people, our nation, rise up out of this. So he says here, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. So dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. That's powerful. That's what we're called to be as members of the church. It, it's, this is not the old days where there's a preacher who stands between us and God and goes on the other side of the veil. We don't have that. God ripped the veil down. Now we're all priests and we're all ministers. Now there are some people who have certain talents among us, teaching, preaching, evangelism, apostles. All of these are, are our ministries that we need. We need our pastor. He's our pastor. He's not our priest. He's our pastor. We're priests. We're priests who, are, who, are, who should be doing the work of the kingdom on earth. Pastor's there to be our pastor, our shepherd, our under-shepherd to lead us in our life and help guide us and make sure we're fed right and we're healthy and we're strong. We're not jumping off the ledge. 
<laughs> but we're the ones who are supposed to be atoning for the people's sins in our community. We're supposed to be the one who, who are helping them, showing them how to live godly life, instructing them in the commandments of God and the word of God. So let's keep going. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus 19. 19, I'm going to get to verse 6, but I think I'm going to start at verse 1. Because this is where God reveals himself to Sinai. God reveals himself to Moses, and this is what he calls his people to be. Exactly two months after Israel left, after Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rabbith, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen that I, what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle wings and brought you out to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant. So there, God starts off right away. You're going to obey me and keep my covenant. We can't go past step one. Now, I'm not going to hammer on that tonight because I feel like we all get that in this room. Like, and, and we've hammered it in the past. But it's still very important before we ever start talking about priestly duties, before we ever start talking about blessings, before we talk about salvation, we come down to believing and obeying. You obey me and keep my covenant. You will be my own special treasure from among all the people on the earth. For all over the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This message is for you to give to the people of Israel. So that was God's intention for the people of Israel, was that they would be a holy nation of priests. So when I started thinking about royal people and priests, my mind goes to the one person, the one priest who started royalty in Israel. Israel was a nation ruled by judges. They were ruled by priests. But at one point, they transitioned from being a priesthood into royalty. And it was a priest who made that transition. And we know it was Samuel who transitioned from a nation being ruled by priests to a nation being ruled by a king. And we know the story how Saul was very wrong and did a lot of bad things. And God removed him from the kingdom. But God used Samuel to remove Saul as king and to place David on the throne. To the point where they even brought him back from the dead when David assumed the throne. That's pretty deep. How much Samuel is involved in this transition from priesthood into kingship. And we know the story that after he died, and after the man of God who sat on the throne died, the kingdom went crazy. It split. They went into slavery. And if it wouldn't have been for God's prophecy... That a nation would be rebirthed in a day. Israel still wouldn't have a place on this earth. But our God is amazing. And he restores. And he makes a way where there never seems to be a way. But I want to go back to how Samuel began. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel. Starting verse 9 of chapter 1. We're going to go through and we're going to take a look at Samuel's life, how he got called, and how he came to be. So, verse number 9 starts with Hannah's prayer for a son. Now, here's this is a whole message in itself. This was a great woman of God who had great things. But I heard a sermon preached one time about the need for children. And Hannah is a prime example of that. 
even in our walk for God as priests and as ministers, we need children. We need to birth spiritual babies. We need to have people come into the kingdom and that we can speak to and mentor and teach the ways of God. That is part of being a priest is teaching the ways. So Hannah's prayer here for a son we're going to look at. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayers and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. That's, that's the same reason why my hair is long, guys. My mom made the same vow. <laughs> what was the scripture in 1 Samuel 9? 1 Samuel 1. Verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. You know why I threw you for a loop? I said it backwards. I said the ninth verse of the first chapter. Everybody knows. You don't speak that way. How dare I? <laughs> so, so here Hannah is praying to the Lord. For a son. She's seeking God. She's, she's crying out. The priest is sitting in his normal spot. He's at the church. Right where he's supposed to be. As she was praying to the Lord. Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving and hearing no sound. He thought. She had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. <laughs> so this is his first opinion. Shows, and this is before, he didn't have the Holy Ghost, so he didn't have the Holy Sermon, I guess. But he thinks she's drunk. He doesn't understand. But it also shows the world that Eli's living in. Eli's not living in a world where he's seeing the spiritual things and he's noticing the spiritual things. He's got people in his life that are worldly. He's had examples of people showing up to the tabernacle drunk. In front of him. So for him, here's another drunk lady. But she says, oh no, sir, she replies. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very discouraged and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman. For I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace May God, may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began eating and drinking and was no longer sad. So she's crying, she's praying out, but a man of God speaks to her and says, all right, go about your way, you're good. She instantly has faith and believes him and goes about her business. Goes right back to drinking and having fun at the party now. I'm no longer worried the man of God spoke. That had nothing to do with Eli. It had everything to do with that woman and her place, her faith, her situation, her prayer. And then listening to the man of God and putting her faith in what he told her. That's what made this come true in her life. So the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship at the Lord or the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. And Elkanah slept with Hannah. Elkanah, that is a weird name, but I believe I pronounced that right. The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel and said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, "Until wait until the boy is weaned. And then I'll take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Boys, I hope you're listening back there because that's exactly what we plan on doing with you guys. Spiritually. 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 Not physically, but spiritually. Maybe, maybe, maybe physically. <laughs> but no, listen to this, boys, though. This lady was praying for her son 
God gave her a son. So she literally took him to the temple of God and said, I want you to keep him and I want him to be raised in the house of the Lord. How amazing is that? You guys want to like, you guys get drugged to every Bible study I teach all week long. And that's kind of in a way what I'm doing to you guys. But we as parents want to leave our children at the feet of Jesus. He, we can't take our children's problems with us everywhere. And this is for little kids and for adults. We can't carry that, that burden of our children everywhere. They're God's children. I'm going to leave them at his throne. I prayed for him. I spoke life into it. The man of God spoke and promised. So now it's come true. Now he's God's. And I have to leave him in God's hands. That doesn't mean I can't pray for him. That doesn't mean I can't instruct him. I can't give him good wisdom. His mom continues to bless him. We're going to see this. But she left him at the, at the house of the Lord. So whatever you think is best, the dad agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed at home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh and she brought along a three-year-old bull for a sacrifice and a, and a brisket, a basket of flour, and some wine. They sacrificed the bull and they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah said. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me a boy and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life and they worship the Lord there so she brought him back and gave him to the Lord he's no longer her child he belongs to the Lord we know we are adopted into God's family anyone who believes the Lord Jesus Christ is a child of God so we find ourselves like Samuel, being dropped off at the temple and left there. You're going to live here, and this is going to be your kingdom now. And that's exactly who we are as Christians. That's why when I show up to church, I'm not walking in somebody else's church. I am a descendant, and I am an heir of Jesus Christ. And this church belongs to him. So any church I step my feet in, I've got an inheritance here. I'm not just walking in. I'm part of this. I'm part of the body. I'm part of this throne. My father is going to leave this to me. So you guys better be careful who we talk to in churches because they're part of that inheritance. We can't push people out of our inheritance. They're in it. But we all become part of that when we're taken to the church and we're left at the house of God. So let's continue in Chapter number two, Hannah has a beautiful prayer here. And it starts with, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord and there is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. <laughs> this lady gets God. <laughs> she understands the Lord. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. Those who were fed are now starving, and those who are starving are now full. The, child, the childless woman now has several children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings down to the grave, but rises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dumps. He sets them among princes and places them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. So who should we pray to when we need money? The Lord. Does your boss make you rich? No. The Lord does. Does your wisdom increase your, your finances? No. 
The Lord's does. Who does this earth belong to? God. How many people struggle financially because they literally profess with their mouth that the devil is running this world? I'm not going to profess that the devil runs this world. This world doesn't belong to Satan. It belongs to God. And when we know that, that's the only way that he can bless our lives and raise us from the garbage dump. We have to know this all belongs to God. I'm not worried about how I'm going to get my next meal because my God created fruit that grows on trees. I don't have to worry about that. Satan can't lie to me and convince me that he's taken over the earth so good that there's a plot that's going to destroy my life and there's nothing I can do about it. He is a liar. This all belongs to my God. And my God's in control. And my God decides who he wants to bless. And my God makes people rich. And my God brings people down and makes people poor. I'm going to believe that till the day I die. And I'm going to example it in my life. And I'm going to show people the, the, the small G God of this world doesn't stand a prayer next to my God. I've seen people who try to sell their soul for music to the devil so that they can be rich and famous. But he doesn't own this world and he can't make you rich and famous. My God can. So I'm going to sell my soul to him and I'm going to let him bless me because that's the only thing. Jesus is the only one. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked ones will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. And the Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to His kings and He increases the strength of His anointed ones. Hallelujah. He's also where our strength comes from. When I'm tired and I'm weary and I don't know how I'm going to get through work, I know who I call on. I call on the God that is the only one who gives strength. Now we're going to get to a good example <laughs> of the opposite of that. We're going to see Eli's sons. We're going to see evil men in the priesthood that are manipulating the church for their own good. We're going to get this prime example from the word of God on everything we should never be. So Eli, Eli had wicked sons. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels, the Bible calls them. <laughs> I love hearing insults in the Bible because I feel like I can use them now. Like there are some things I can't call people, but I can call you a snake because Jesus called people a snake. <laughs> He's loving. I can call you a scoundrel because God called Eli's sons a scoundrel. Don't be a scoundrel. <laughs> Who had, they had no respect for the Lord. So that's rule number one right there. They've already started off terrible. They've got no respect for the Lord. You know, the Bible says for a man to love his wife, for a wife to respect her husband. It says that because of the example of the relationship between a woman and a man. And then it correlates our relationship with God in the same image. Our marriage on earth is an example of our marriage in heaven. Like it's, That's what it's supposed to be. So we should be acting as if we're married to God. That's what it, that's what it is. Like we're we're in a marriage. Like I'm preparing my wife for an eternity the same way Christ prepared his church. I don't want her to fall in any way. I don't want to encourage her to miss out on this great blessing. That's my responsibility. And she examples the church's relationship with God, obedience and respect. And we're, we're told that our, we're the bride of Christ. So everything I put on my wife, I'm not being a mean, hateful man, because guess what? I'm a bride too. <laughs> I'm a bride too. Now, we ain't going to get into the whole transgender crap. <laughs> but it's the truth. We are the bride of Christ. 
We're called to live our relationship with Christ as a wife should live a relationship to her husband. I don't need my wife to show her love for me. She does that naturally. It's a woman's, it's a woman's ways to be loving. Like she don't even have to try that. It's me who's pushing her away. From, All right, enough kisses. <laughs> but what I care about is respect. There are going to be times in my life that I need her to be on board with me. I can't fight and argue. God told us we're moving to the promised land. We got to pack our stuff and go. I can't stand there and fight with my wife and drag her down the street by her hair. I need her to respect my wishes and go, okay, honey, I don't understand. God's, God's in control. Let's go. You know, thank God he's given me a beautiful wife who's great at that. But because that's a, that's, a, that's a burden. And we've got to understand that. And, and again, men have their challenges too. We're not, we're not called, we're called to be like Christ. That's a big example to live up to. I shouldn't be mean and hateful. And I got to be loving and kind and, and generous and worthy to wait and listen. Yeah. Right. And but and we're called the bride for that reason as well. As the body of Christ, it shouldn't come complicated for us to love God. That comes easy. When God gives me blessings all day long and I see one thing after another of him working good in my favor, it's easy for me to love him. But what I need to work on is my respect. Am I going to respect God? When he tells me to do something, am I going to take him lightly because I love him so much? We're so in love. Oh, and he goes, hey, will you please make sure my lunch is packed before I leave tonight? Oh, well, he's so loving. He'll just, I, I love you, baby. We'll get over this. And then I go to work hungry. That doesn't work. Like, I, I, I know you love me. I need you to listen when I tell you something. I need you to act like what I say matters. That's respect. And that's the relationship that God's called us to. Yeah, I know you love me. You're always going to love me. I'm a good God. How do you not love me? But are you going to respect me when I tell you not to do that? And no, I know you want to do it, but I told you not to do it. Because Eli's sons didn't. They didn't get that. They, they loved God. I'm sure they loved him. They're like, oh, life is so good. Our God, he made this cow that I'm about to eat. He made this gold that I'm enjoying. He made all this beautiful stuff. I love God. Now, don't tell me not to do what I want to do. There's no respect there. That's exactly where Eli's sons are picking up here. So let me pick up where I left off. So Eli had scoundrels for sons that did not respect the Lord or... For the duties as a priest. So here we go again. Now they're not now we're not respecting God, but we're not even respecting what I'm supposed to be doing here as a priest. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's son would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, and the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever was brought up be given to Eli's sons. Huh. The priests had food. They got food anyways. They didn't even have to do this. Like, it wasn't like they were starving. This is literally like, ah, I'll just take what I want. Um, my dad's the priest. We own all this. My God's in charge. I can get whatever I want. We don't, like, we don't want that to creep into our church. We don't want that creeping into our priesthood. I'm not here to take what I can get from anybody. Like, that never should be our, our thought or our process. God will bless us. He always does. He's blessed me more times where I don't want to take stuff and I take it because I have no choice. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. There, God's going to dump blessings in your life. But my mentality should not be about what can I get from God. So the servant was sick in and demand whatever came out. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. He treated everybody that came to the house of God this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had burned on the altar and he would demand raw meat before it had been broiled so that he could use, so it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. So even the people were coming were like, come on guys, let's, let's at least please God first. Let me at least finish my sacrifice. Then you can do whatever you want to do. 
No, the servant would demand. Give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men were very serious in the Lord's sight. For they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. And he wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him. And she came with her husband for a sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and said, May the Lord give you another child to take the place of the one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So Samuel had brothers and sisters. He had, he had three brothers, two sisters. They're out there living their life. They're having a good time. But Samuel is in the presence of the Lord. We're going to find ourselves, there's going to be people in our family that aren't living for God the way that they're living, they should be. And we're going to have friends and family members and people that we come in contact with that are, they're our brothers and sisters, but they're not, they're not a priest. They're not dressed like this. They're not wearing a white linen. They're not in the presence of the Lord. We should be like Samuel in the presence of the Lord continually. Now, Eli was very old. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the, temp at the entrance to the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I have heard among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against other people, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Wow. So there came a point where they were told, stop. God kept giving them a line. Don't cross this line. But they ran right past it. So God started planning their death and destruction. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. One day the man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. I received myself. I revealed myself to your ancestors when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices at my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest, and to serve me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you, priest. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Why do you let you and your sons? Why do you care more about your sons than you do me? Don't care about the things of this world more than you care about me. That's your son. I love my sons. <laughs> I love them a lot. But I better care more about God than I do about my sons. I can't let their sin and their bad behavior lead me away from the job that God's called me to do. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest, but I will honor those who honor me. So here we go. These people have been in the, they've been in the kingdom forever. They've been in the church for years. But God says, I don't care how long they've been in the church. I don't care what a point, what position they've been appointed to. I don't care what role they're playing in this church. I will honor those who honor me. That's for everybody in this room today. There are people in places in church that don't belong to be there. But if you honor God and you serve God and you put yourself in his house and you stay in his presence... He will honor you. He will put you in these places of respect and honor that need to be governed by godly people. 
And I will despise those who think lightly of me. Mm. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family so it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. They will watch the envy. They will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel. Mm, people don't believe in prosperity no more, but God sure does. And he dumps it on those who honor him, the people of Israel. But no members of your family will ever live out their days. Those who survive will live in sadness and grief and their children will die a violent death. That's what happens to the people who run God's church wrong. How many times have we seen people who live in sadness and grief and we watch their children spiritually die while they think they're doing things right in God's kingdom? It's a curse. But I'm not going to be that kind. Just like we talked about in Peter. I'm not called to be that way. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen person. I can live the way Samuel lived. And my children aren't going to live in sadness and grief and be killed and destroyed. They're going to grow up in the royal priesthood. Like the Levites should have. And to prove that what I have said will come true. I will cause your two sons to die on the same day. Phineas and Hoppinus. Hoppinai. Hoppinai and Phineas. We've got some fun names here. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your uh, surviving family will bow before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we have enough to eat. Oh my God. It says, I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. And I will establish his family. And they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we have enough to eat. That's what the children of the priest who went astray have been praying. God, I'm telling you guys, this is, this is hitting so home in the Holy Ghost. I, I can't hardly even express this. This is what our generation has been going through. Our generation before us were not being the priests God called them to be. I'm not trying to talk bad about them. I don't, you know, God bless. I hope Eli's sons are in heaven. I hope everybody makes it to heaven. But I'm called to be like Samuel. We're called to be a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And if we don't, then our children will suffer. They will beg for money. They will be broke. They won't have food to eat. They'll be led astray. Even if they go to church every Sunday. If you're not being the priest, you're called to be. My God, that's good. <laughs> so meanwhile, Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. So now we get back to the other side. Here's little, little Samuel. He's not doing anything wrong. Just, just got given to the Lord, placed in the house of God, living his life, happy to be in the presence of the Lord. Nobody important, just a little boy who's assisting this elderly priest. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. and Visions were quite uncommon. Kind of like our day, right? We don't hear. We don't have a lot of. We don't have a lot of visions. Like these are these are uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, but Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. So again, Samuel's right where he needs to be. Your dad preached about this part, and he nailed it. He's right where he needed to be. 
near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord cried out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? And he got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Now this is something dad didn't talk about. Because it was Sunday morning, he was at church. <laughs> but I'm at my Bible study, so I can take the gloves right off. Samuel heard the Lord's voice. And he ran to the man he thought represented God. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Once again, Eli's clueless to the presence of God. And here's a man of God running to a person that he thinks is in contact with God. And Eli doesn't have a clue. Huh? Who, I didn't call you. Who did what? <laughs> I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel didn't know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. He's like us. I don't really know about all this stuff, guys. So the Lord called a third time and once more, Samuel got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me Eli? Oh my God, that's so powerful. How many times do we get a word from the Lord and we run to a man of God who doesn't have a clue what's going on? Oh man. That's why I love your dad so much. That's why I love I got a pastor. Because that doesn't happen to me. I ran to my pastor and he knew exactly what God was talking about. He was right in the same spirit, right in the same mood. He didn't. He said, hey, guess what? That's God talking to you, Dan. Go back in there and lay down and talk to him for a little bit. That's what we need to have in our lives. We need, if we're going to have a priest, we're going to serve a priest. He better be a priest who knows when God's speaking to me. Who can say, hey, that's the voice of God. You better follow that, Dan. Don't you let that go. Go and lay down again. And if someone, wait. And Eli realized, so finally Eli wakes up. Finally realizes, oh, wait a minute. That's the Lord who's calling the boy. And he said to Samuel, go and lay down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Man, pastor, again, his sermon, speak, Lord. That was so good on this. So Samuel went back to bed and the Lord came and called as before in Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. <laughs> That's where we're standing today. God has called some men of God who shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been in the priesthood. He already had priests standing in the priesthood. But God called them men in here and he said, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. Your churches are about to be shocked. They're not going to understand why there's this little boy serving now. But I'm God, and this is my house, and I'm fed up with the way they've been running it. So I'm calling new young men, and I'm going to do something shocking in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from the beginning to the end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sons of Eli and the son and his sons will never be forgotten by sacrifices and offerings. What? Okay, I was going to say, I did something wrong there. So I vowed that the sons of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices and offerings. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what version is this? <laughs> Samuel stayed in bed until morning. So this is another hard thing here. Samuel gets told. God's like, all right, I'm taking them out. They're not going to be forgiven. There ain't going to be any way for restoration. I'm taking them out. And Samuel lays in bed until morning in the fear of God. And we need to realize that like, God takes people out. If we don't take him seriously and we don't walk in fear, he will take them out. And we're going to be told of people who are getting taken out. 
And that's why God's judgment is not something to be taken lightly over. I don't tell people or pray evil on people or wish things bad on people. Because when God decides to take people out, it is serious. And I don't want that for anybody. I would love to have seen Eli's sons repent and turn things back around. We wish that for, for the people who are in leadership around us. At that time, there was a war in the Philistines. I'm not, for sake of time, I was going to read a lot more about this. And I might come back to it. But I feel like this is a great place to leave off on Samuel. Because God, it would take about another three to four chapters to read about what all God did in that. But God destroyed Eli's children. God took the Ark of the Covenant out of Israel, which caused Eli to have a heart attack and fall over and die. And then God established Samuel as the priest. And there's the whole story about the ark and them bringing it and sending it and the temple with the false god and the head getting cut off and to show how powerful and strong our God is and how much we should fear him. But it all starts with this priesthood, our new priesthood that we're called to be in. I'm going to go to Isaiah 61 real quick here. Starting in verse 1, it's, it's only 11 verses, so we're going to read through it real quick. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's our job as priests, right there in a nutshell. He has set me to comfort the brokenhearted. So here's our role as the body of believers. To comfort the brokenhearted. To proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. That's what we're called to proclaim. I'm called to tell people the blessings of God. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So this is who we're called to be as royal priesthood. We're not going to be like Eli and his sons. We're going to get that garbage out. We're going to obey God's commandments. We're going to walk in his ways. We're going to live the way he's called us to be. And these are the things we're going to do. We're going to proclaim blessing to the people. We're going to raise them up. We're going to be oaks planted by God. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will receive them. They will revive them. Though they have been deserted for many generations, foreigners will be their servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend to your vineyards. How many times does God tell us? We're like, I don't know how God's going to give me money. I know how he's going to give it to you. He said he will take it from the wicked and give it to the righteous. We're going to plow their fields. We're going to plow their, we're going to drink their wine. We're going to sit at their table. That's how it's going to go. We're not going to, we're not going to have to steal it will be given. When, when Israel walked out after the plagues, they were given gold and silver. They didn't take it. They went to their neighbors and said, hey, you want to hook me up? And they were like, here you go, please. Take it. That's how God's people prosper. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. These are our promises, guys. These are what we're going to stand on. I talked to you about what we don't want to do. I talked to you about what, we, what we're going to do. Now I'm showing you what we're going to get from living this lifestyle. If we don't believe it, if we don't hear it and we don't believe it, it don't happen. If I think I'm just supposed to suffer my whole life, then that's what I'm going to suffer my whole life. 
But if I hear God's word and I believe his word, and we've already read three times in the Bible, prosperity. He, we can see he's a God who wants us to prosper. For I, the Lord, here we go. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Your descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. That's why I spoil my kids. I want them to know they're a people who God has blessed. Your friends ain't going to understand why you got so much good going on in your life. Let them taste and see. Let them come see how good God is. Let them start living like Samuel. Stop acting like Eli. And let's see what kind of blessings God dumps in their life. Because I've been proclaiming God will do it all along. He hasn't proved me wrong yet. So there's truth in this word if we believe it. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with clothing of salvation. So God cares about what you wear. God ain't going to give you clothes. He cares about what you wear. And drape me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride in her jewels. Man, that's awesome. A sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. That's what God has called us to. In Revelations chapter 1, I've been ending almost every one of my Bible studies in Revelations. Yes, that's a great way to end. Hey, God ended his whole Bible in it. Why can't I? (laughs) But I'm going to read Revelations 1 verses 4 through 8. This letter is from John to the seven churches Revelations 1, 4 through 8. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I want you to write it down. I need to slow down and speak slower. I'm getting it. I'm I'm trying. <laughs> you should have seen me. You guys should have seen me yesterday at Bible study. I got about halfway through and I, or I got about three-fourths of the way through and realized I was about a quarter of the way through my slides. And I just shifted in the fast gear. Went, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Flash through them real quick. They're all recorded. You can go back and listen. <laughs> So this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, the one who always was, and the one who is still to come. So that's the God we serve. He ain't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for Israel, he'll do for us. What he promised to the good priest in the Bible, he promises to us today if we're living as we should as a priest. And grace and peace is what he promises to us first. We will live in grace and peace. There won't be, there won't be wars and battle after battle after battle after battle. There's coming the day we're, we're going to move from victory to victory to victory. We, every now and then we might hit a little struggle. We're going to get past that and we're going to move on. We're going to focus on all the good time in between those battles where we live in victory. Before, or wait, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power for him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. Man, once again, 
He is the one who rules over all the kings of this world. We can never let the devil's lies influence the way we think. He doesn't rule this world, and he never will. He has some authority over it, but my God's over him. And we got to remember that as we continue to walk in the priesthood. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow them to digest everything I fed to them today, God. I know it was a big meal, Lord, but you're a God of nourishment and a God of more than enough, God. So allow this to become part of our foundation, God, that we base our life on, that we believe you are good and that we will be good priests and representatives of your kingdom here on earth, God. Let your blessings flow to these people, God. Let it flow to the ones who honor you, God. We worship and praise you, God. (laughs) And we want their lives to be an example to this evil world how good our God truly is. We worship you and praise you, God. And in your name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.